A reading from the book of Philippians. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, Jesus, will abound on account of me. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, Bill. I really am excited about the oyster roast. You can, it's proven, you can't eat too many oysters. Your body starts to swell, just a warning. But some swelling is worth it. Some swelling is worth it, amen? Okay, listen, for all of our guests, my name's Paul, I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, we actually have a special guest, one of my best friends and longest, longest, excuse me, longest allies in the faith and his brighter here. Can we give a warm Charleston welcome to my good friend Rick Lyons and Mary Lyons, all the way from Michigan. They drove all the way from Michigan, quite the, uh, quite the journey. While we are making our way through the book of Philippians this spring, today's sermon is titled, Pioneers in the Night, Pioneers in the Night. But before we dive into our passage, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by asking you this question. Have you ever discovered that you were put in a bad situation for a good reason? Have you ever discovered that you were put in a bad situation for a good reason? In an article published on December 30th of this last year in the New York Post, a Buffalo man is being hailed as a hero after saving 24 people during last week's brutal snowstorm that dumped over, listen to this, 50 
inches of snow, impact 70 mile an hour winds in Western New York. It all started when Jay Withy's truck got stuck on the road and he was forced to sleep in his vehicle with two strangers. Quote, I wanted to, excuse me, I walked nearby uh, to nearby houses to see if I could find shelter during the storm. Any house that had lights on. I had $500 that I was offering just to sleep on their floor, Withy told a local TV station. Yet, listen, after being turned down by everyone, everyone, he walked back to his truck defeated and with a new fear he had never experienced. It's the only time in my life I actually thought I was going to die, he shared. Around 6 a.m. on Christmas Eve, after taking turns running the engine and napping with his truck, then ran out of gas in the trio. He had welcomed two strangers to sleep in his truck that night. The trio was forced to find proper shelter. And off to the left, I could see there was a school about six, 700 feet away from us, he said. I knew the power would be on, there'd be heat, and I was guaranteeing there would be food in there, Withy told the station. And after some quick thinking, Withy identified others around him in the storm who were also stranded, and together they decided to break into the school. Listen to this. Withy and his crew, a total of 25 people, including seven senior citizens, made their way to Pine Hill Primary School or Center and took shelter, respectfully setting up only what they needed. They set up in the main area of the cafeteria, helping themselves only to food that was required, and they took nothing out of the fully stocked freezer, according to police. And as the storm finally began to move away from the area late Christmas Day, catch that, they had to spend their Christmas sheltering from the storm, as the storm was making its way out of the area, Merry Christmas Jay, as he's now being celebrated in Buffalo, found the school's snowplower and cleared all the vehicles that belonged to those in his survival pack. Additionally, before leaving, Withy fixed the broken window with cardboard and duct tape and then left a note apologizing for breaking into the school. Here is that note. It reads... To whomever it may concern, I'm terribly sorry about breaking the school window and for breaking into the kitchen. Got stuck at 8 p.m. Friday and slept in my truck with two strangers just trying not to die. There were seven elderly people stuck and out of fuel. I had to do it to save everyone and get them shelter and food and a bathroom. Merry Christmas, Jay. I just love that. I had to do it. Merry Christmas, Jay. Here's a picture of Jay and some of the people he rescued that weekend. Jay's in the middle. Beautiful, right? Friends, have you ever discovered that you were put in a bad situation for a good reason? Allow me to reframe this question for our context. Through the lens of the Bible, might God take us and place us in bad situations for a good reason? Might God take us and place us in tough situations, not because he's mad at us, but actually because he trusts us and wants to use us for something special? Have you ever considered that? Might God take us and place us in chains or caves or lion dens 
into other difficult situations to reach people we would otherwise not reach and take paths we'd otherwise not travel and embrace the humility we'd otherwise not embrace all to spread his love and his hope to a hopeless world? Might God do something like that? Making it personal, would he dare do something like that with you? Listen, friends, if you believe in the scriptures and the biblical witness, so to speak, the answer to this question is resounding, yes. Yes, he would. That's why today's passage and related passages in the Bible are so important to read, understand, and then apply in our lives. So with that backdrop or introduction, let's turn to our passage today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. Here's our big idea I hope we see. Friends, suffering does not mean God has abandoned you. God often positions his faithful as pioneers in the night. Suffering does not mean God has abandoned you. God often positions his faithful as pioneers in the night. We're going to unpack this truth to, through two points. Point one, without denying the pain, embrace the potential in each and every day. And point two, as pioneers in the light, live for the glory of one, Jesus. So point one, without denying the pain, embrace the potential of each and every day. Diving into God's word, beginning with verse 12, we read, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Three times, three times in our passage today, Paul shares he's in chains for the gospel. So what is he talking about? Well, allow me to provide some context for our text. First, as we shared last week, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi or the Philippians. As the first converts in all of Europe and the first church plant in all of Europe, Paul loved the Philippians. He delighted in them. He had introduced them to Jesus and seen them flourish over the years. Last week, we saw how Paul and his, excuse me, Paul and the Philippians together shared in a gospel joy at all times and for all time, right? Trusting in Jesus. And last week, I invited you to share in that joy. Well, as we get to verse 12 in our passage, Paul's focus begins to shift. It's been years since he's been with these people, the Philippians, and Paul doesn't want to live in denial or deflect what's really happening. The bottom line is this. Paul's in jail. Paul's in chains. Three times we read that, he's locked up. Why? Well, he tells us it's all because of the gospel, because of his faith in Jesus. And friends, we need to understand in, in that day and age, this would have been so, so hard and so humiliating. Why would it have been so hard? Well, in that day and age, in Roman prisons, you weren't given daily care or sometimes even food as a prisoner. Thus, you had to rely on the generosity and service of outsiders just to stay alive. And it was humiliating for obvious reasons. He was a prisoner of the state. He'd lost his freedom. He was an easy target for slander and abuse. And yet, what do we read? What does he say? Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, 
that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Wow, right? In other words, without denying the pain, Paul was able to embrace the opportunity right in front of him to do what? To preach the gospel. Without denying the pain, Paul was able to trust in God's sovereignty in the very placement and purpose for his life, even in that moment as he sat in jail. Talk about faith, right? Again, bringing it into the here and now, could it be that God sometimes places us in tough situations for a good reason? Be it in that job or that transition, walking with that person or navigating that broken relationship, receiving that news or that diagnosis or coming face-to-face with a dead end that makes no sense or face-to-face with a false accusation. Friends, maybe you're stuck today. Maybe you're in pain today. Maybe you're suffering today. Whatever your chains, listen, they do not mean that God's, uh, you, excuse me, they do not mean that you have lost God's love or that you're out of the game. In fact, they may mean just the opposite. Zero in on a couple phrases with me in our text. The whole palace guard, the whole palace guard, who were these people? Well, the whole palace guard were the imperial guard of the Roman Empire consisting of 9,000 elite soldiers who were honored with heightened pay and heightened responsibilities. Included in this would have been the guarding of imperial prisoners, sometimes chained to them. Now, continuing with the little history lesson, historians tell us that every four hours or so, these guards would have to change shifts And this wouldn't have mattered to a normal prisoner, but listen, to Paul, it mattered greatly. Why? Because every guard and every new shift represented a new opportunity to share about Jesus. Friends, hear this. Despite Paul's lowly estate, every new day represented a new opportunity to not only trust in Jesus, but extend that love and that trust to others. Oh, the power of one candle, one candle in the dark. Paul saw it. The question is, do we? Do we understand it? And don't miss the irony here. Yes, Paul was being held captive by the Roman um, elite soldiers, but guess what? That meant he always had a captive audience for the gospel. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. Now, before moving to point two, zero in on two more words with me. Advance and progress. Did you catch that? This His imprisonment, his chains served to advance, and then he hoped to progress the faith of the Philippians. These two words come from one Greek word, prokope, prokope, and they bookend our passage. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, and then dropping down, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So this word, let's unpack this word that gives us advance and progress. When broken into its two roots, pro and copto, we get in front of and to chop down. Don't miss this. In front of and to chop down. In other words, when read literally, advance in Paul's world meant to further a mission by chopping down whatever stands in one's way. How's that for a word picture? Furthermore, I know we have some service members in here. Thank you for your service. Listen, 
This word advance also shares the same root as the word pioneers and armies. Pioneers and armies. Again, noteworthy. It's a picture of a person or a group blazing trails through a thick forest to advance one's message or mission. Thus, understood linguistically, as Paul wrote this letter, the apostle didn't see himself as a victim of the faith. In this moment, he saw himself as a trailblazer of the faith, a pioneer of the faith. And it's clear that Paul's hope was that all believers, beginning with the Philippians and continuing surely with us, would also embrace this understanding of our own place even when we suffer. We're called to be pioneers of the gospel in the good times and in the bad, to blaze new trails no matter what we're going through. Such is why, in the words of theologian G. Walter Hansen, Paul holds up his chains for all to see in this book. Though the messenger may be bound in chains, the message cannot be bound. Do you see it? He's holding up his chains for us to see. So we too could be pioneers of the faith even when we suffer. This leads us to point two. As pioneers in the night, not just the day, live for the glory of one, Jesus All right, let's have some fun, okay? Do we have any Jeopardy fans in here? Give me a nod or a wink, okay? My parents watch it every, okay, Jeff. My parents watch it virtually every night. Um, Anyone in here like good taglines into branding or marketing? Give me a nod, yeah. Well, we're gonna do something. We're gonna share some taglines and then I'm gonna invite you just to screen out the company or organization it represents. The 9am was a mess. They, They were a mess. They got maybe one of these right. All right, ready, Dave? Okay, just do it. Nike, Nike. A diamond is forever. De Beers. All right, I guarantee someone on the front row will get this. America runs on? Yeah, a lot of donut fans here at One Fellowship. Breakfast of champions. Wheaties. There are some things money cannot buy. For everything else, there's. And last but not least, here's an oldie bit of goodie. Think different. Someone got it. Apple. Apple. Now reflect on what society tries to sell us or tell us by filling in the blank. To live is. What's well, Christ? But we're not going to give that answer. <laughs> not yet. What does society try to sell us or tell us? To live is happiness. Someone in the uh, first service said success. Someone might even say Clemson football. (laughs) Gamecock football. To live is to find that special someone. To live is to find that special something. To live is to get that perfect body and have those perfect kids, to buy that perfect car, and build that perfect house, oh, and to take that perfect vacation, and then buy that perfect boat. Did you see the boats in the front? Amazing. (laughs) Buy that perfect boat. All of this after hitting those lofty, perfect career goals and securing those lovely, perfect, long-term investments. That's living. Sound familiar? In researching today's passage, I came across this inscription from some ancient Carthage ruins. Quote, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. See, not much has changed over the years, has it? 
How about for Paul? What's Paul's maxim or tagline? To live is Christ and to die is gain. And actually, there are no verbs in the original language used here. So read literally, we get to live Christ, to die gain. To live Christ, to die gain. To live Christ, to die gain. You see, for Paul, this was his singular focus in both the good times and the bad. No matter the circumstances, no matter the pain, this old apostle saw himself as a pioneer living for the glory of one and only one. And who is that? Jesus. How could he take such a courageous or bold posture? You ever asked yourself that? Well, let me propose something here. Paul not only saw Jesus as his Messiah, the one who came to save us from our sins, Paul clearly saw Jesus as his Lord, the Lord, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the image of the invisible God, the risen one who he says is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, interceding for us all right here and right now. The one who upholds all things by the power of his word. That's who Paul saw. That's who Paul worshiped, not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord. In other words, Paul trusted in Jesus's love and his sovereignty, his love and his plan. Um, and this gave him amazing confidence. Paul's a amazingly confident, but it's not based in his own identity, in his circumstances. No, it's based in the Lord. Paul did not deny his pain in our passage or in this book or in his writings, but he trusted that Jesus is Lord right here, right now, and he has a plan, and that the promises of God do, in fact, all prove true. So how about you and how about me? How might this passage be calling us to trust in a new, fresh way, especially if we're suffering? Like Paul, as pioneers in the night, we're called to live for the glory of one. Trust in the love of one, Jesus. Now I realize as I share this, it's easy to share this when you're not in suffering. It's easier to receive this when you're not suffering, but what if you are? Suffering is hard. Suffering can be really hard. So allow me to share a personal story from just a month ago. In December, after an 18-month battle, a good friend of mine died from colon cancer. His name was Ben, Ben Ferguson, and he was 40 years old. Ben had been married to his college sweetheart, Mary, for years, and together they shared two elementary school age girls. Ben was a wonderful father and husband. Moreover, Ben was a wonderful pastor and friend of our church. For years, even through the pandemic, Ben served as the lead pastor of the main campus or parish of Mission Chattanooga, my brother's church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Everyone just loved Ben. They respected him. In fact, Ben was one of the last TAs of the great J.I. Packer up in Vancouver. That is why when Ben died, his death gutted us. It gutted us. He was only 40. He had beautiful kids. He was faithful. His death did not make sense. Yet through it all, through his fight with cancer and 
lost to cancer, Ben remained true. He did. He remained kind. He remained hope-filled. And he remained the loving shepherd of Jesus that he always had been. Ben finished well. That's why when it came to Ben's funeral, I wouldn't miss it. I think I preached and hauled out of here in the middle of Advent. It wasn't surprising to see the sanctuary packed in Chattanooga. It was packed with people from around the world, literally, and it was packed with every emotion you can imagine. Laughing, crying, clapping, you name it. Ben had suffered, and yet through it all, had kept the faith. He'd finished well. Now taking this to an even more personal level, sitting beside me at the funeral that day sat my nephew, Will, a college student in his 20s, a young man who'd been in and out of rehab. He's now clean and sober, praise God. And Will was taking it all in, even though he had left the church years before. Will was listening to the stories about Ben, a a person he knew and respected, and he was watching me as I wept in the seat right beside him. At one point, I believe I saw him cry too. Now here's what I'd like to share. When it came time for us to take communion and to publicly acknowledge our trust in Jesus and surrender our lives to him, following the homily, guess who followed me to the communion table? Guess who followed me to the table of the Lord? My nephew, Will. The one who had left the church years ago, the one who refused to take communion for years. He followed me to the table of the Lord. See, friends, through Ben's life and death, his suffering, and yet his trust in the gospel, and somehow through our collective suffering and celebration in that moment, my nephew, Will, came back to the table of the Lord And it was moving. Moreover, in talking to my brother yesterday about the funeral and about the experience of having his best friend die from cancer who was on staff at his church, what was that like? He told me Ben's suffering and death had actually helped ignite his church more for Jesus as they have seen over 160 new adults join the church in the 18 months that Ben suffered. Moreover, get this, the giving in Mission Chattanooga has doubled in this time frame. In other words, Ben's suffering mattered. His life mattered. His death mattered. It pioneered or advanced new paths for the gospel and brought people back to faith who had left the family. In the mystery and sovereignty of God's plan, our suffering matters and has the power to change lives. Friends, no matter what you're going through right now, know this, suffering does not mean God has abandoned you. God often positions his faithful as pioneers in the dark. So as we close, let's dare to reframe our views on suffering, shall we? Three applications. First, how about we not hide or deny our suffering, but daringly share it. Be vulnerable together in the Lord. Share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How about we dare do that? Application two, how about we see God and his purpose is not far from our suffering, but right in the midst of our suffering? Turning to another story, do you remember what Joseph told his brothers after they finally confessed the hell they'd put him through? Do you remember that in Genesis 50? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, God sometimes does place us in tough situations for a good reason. In application three, no matter what life throws your way or our way, let's see ourselves as pioneers, trailblazers of the gospel, through both the good and the bad, trusting that in Jesus we're left, and in Jesus God has a plan. Say this with me. To live Christ, to die with me, sorry. (laughs) To live Christ, to die gain. To live Christ, to die gain. To live Christ, to die gain. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and the mystery and beauty of this life. Sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes it hurts. But we know that you're with us even in our suffering. You promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You promised to bring about good for all those called according to your purposes. So God, call us back to you right now, even even, uh, those of us, especially those of us who are suffering. Help us. Lead us. Advance your purposes through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.